0: So, we're gathered in this place tonight to, um, to hear and recite a story, and when any of my young children want to uh, hear a story, they have to bring their hectic pace of life, and believe me, it's very hectic um, in the Booker household most days, to a halt. They have to bring that down to a halt, and then they climb into my lap usually, and they sit very still and give their attention to the story that's about to be read, and similarly for us tonight, as we've come to this place to hear this story, to really hear it, we have to step out of the hecticness and the craziness of our lives, the rat race of a fast-paced city, which is presumably only gets faster uh, this time of year, and we have to move into a posture of listening and attentiveness to hear. We're always so distracted, aren't we, in life? We're always just full of distractions, not just Right now, in this service, at this moment, in this time of year, but um, also just in life generally. A million things going on for most of us all the time, on probably the top of the list. Um, we're distracted from listening to and from stopping and reflecting on and from celebrating this story that we have been hearing from the scriptures tonight. And that's the, the gift and really the reason of this service that we've had together here tonight that we can step out of the cacophony of the world around us. That, the, the, the clanging, the honking, the cha-ching of registers, the cutting of trees, the wrapping of gifts, and so on, and that we can hear this story again in a fresh way. Now, we hear and we read stories all the time, true stories, imaginary stories, sad stories, happy stories. We hear all kinds of stories um, that have absolutely no or maybe just very little passing effect on us. I, I once read a really sad story in the newspaper about a state trooper who had been killed while he was on the side of the road giving a woman a ticket, coming the other way, an 84-year-old man lost control of his vehicle and ran into the trooper, and he lost his life and was killed instantly. Now, that was a sad story. It is a sad story. and um, But it really, to be honest, didn't have a great effect on me when I read it, other than maybe a passing thought of sadness and grief and kind of, whoa, that was bizarre. But if, if somebody came to me Um, tonight as I was cleaning up some of this place with some of you and said, you know, a woman named Mandy and four young kids got into a serious car accident on the Jamaica Way on the way home and they're badly injured, it would literally change my life. It It would turn my life upside down in an instant. Things would change drastically. So the story that we're listening to tonight is that kind of story for each one of us. That kind of self-involving, life-changing, life-consuming, life-giving story that actually reaches into the depths of our beings and that changes the nature of our reality as human beings and of who we are. It isn't a a once-upon-a-time or a they-lived-happily-ever-after kind of story. You know, we're so easily fooled a lot of the time by cute manger scenes, festive de- decorations, beautiful music, live nativities, and just by good old holiday cheer that sometimes we think it's just another story like Cinderella. That's a lot of fun to tell and to retell, but that actually is innocuous. Such that in telling the story, we hear it, and we return to our hectic pace in games without missing a beat. But it's not that kind of story. This story is anything but distant or irrelevant or innocuous. It's a story about, as we read in John's Gospel a few minutes ago, the true light which enlightens everyone that is coming into the world. It has teeth. It has grit. True grit. It has power to change us. It's a story of grace and truth. Grace and truth with cosmic proportions which actually touches the deepest questions and realities that we have as human beings, all of us, wherever we're from. It's about a creator God and his world, and it's able literally to turn our lives upside down, or I should say actually to turn our lives right side up, this story. It's a story of grace. The one who came and dwelt among us is none other than the creator God, the Word, who was with God and who was God as John tells us, who came into the world. He came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And this is the good news. This is the great Christian story. It's not about what we can do for God, but it's about what God has lovingly and graciously done for us, his creatures. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't hasten it. We didn't somehow bring it about. It was a gift of his grace. A gift of his grace. Now, unlike so many stories that we know, we, we all inhabit hundreds, probably, of stories in our lives. I mean, m- many of us, if, we, if we're American citizens, we, we inhabit, you know, the American story. There are all kinds of stories. But this story, unlike many of those, is a story where we're not actually at the center of the story. In fact, being at the center is, is one of the problems, one of the great problems with so much of human life. It's all hanging on me, depending on me, riding on me. And that can actually be exhausting for us and demoralizing. One wonders if all the outbreaks of rage, we see them all the time, this recently um, the Virginia Tech shooting again, um, or maybe more trivially, Alec Baldwin's tantrum on an American Airlines flight last week. Um, These things, I wonder if they're really just the result of us putting ourselves at the center. We're carrying burdens, we're weighed down with things that we're not meant to bear. And a little provocation, and we snap. But in this story, God is actually the hero. God is the center. God is the primary actor. We're all in the supporting cast at best. And God comes. These readings tell us that Jesus' birth is, is weaving into and completing a much broader and more ancient story of God's work in his world. It's that story that begins with creation with God's making of a world that was very good and with the creation of human beings in his image to exercise God's good and righteous um, rule in and throughout our world, reflecting his image. But instead um, instead of resting content with our role in God's world, we reached out to take the reins ourselves, to run things in our own way, and as a result, sin, evil, and death enter the very good world that God had made. So into the light of paradise there came a great darkness. And that darkness of of sin and of rebellion and of self-seeking, of pride before a God who made us for himself, that darkness and the wake of destruction that it leaves in its path and the separation that it brings between us and our maker is, is a problem for every one of us. It's a problem for you and it's a problem for me. And it's a problem that's too big to solve on our own or with our own resources. You know, the ancient prophets knew this. We read from Isaiah tonight. Their hope was not in the power of self-improvement or in the steady march of human progress or technological innovation. Instead, the prophets declare a new future, a bright hope that would come by the grace and love of our maker, of our God, from the one on whom God's spirit would rest, who would reign in the power of God, in righteousness and justice, on the throne of his father David, bringing peace to the world. And what the prophets foresaw, John actually proclaims, into the darkness there came a great light, and that light was the light of the world. Jesus is born The king of God's people, he who will sit on David's throne forever. The word becomes flesh to reveal God to us. To bring God's salvation into our world and to establish his kingdom, his rule, his gracious and benevolent and good rule over all of creation. That there might be peace. Not just the absence of war and violence, but the presence of blessing and abundance under God's gracious hand. Blessing and fruitfulness where there was once death and despair and cursing and barrenness. So, so what are we to say to, to this story? What are we to say? We're saying, we probably should say, bring it on. Come on, let's get this thing moving. Let's, let's keep this story going. But it's actually, surprisingly, maybe paradoxically, it's not really like that for most of us. There's quite a bit of resistance to the story that we've been telling. You know, I get the privilege most mornings of waking up early and then going up the stairs to wake up one of my daughters before it's time to go to school. And one of the first things that I do when I walk into her bedroom is right at the door, as in most bedrooms, there's a light switch. And I flip on the switch. And as I flip on the switch, that's frequently met with a determined, almost instinctive retreat under the covers. And that's the way John says our initial reaction to Jesus is. Later in John's Gospel, he says, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. We loved the darkness rather than the light. The world did not know him. His own people did not receive him. When the light comes, instead of saying, come on, bring it on, we say we kind of tend to flinch or to hide. You see, the story of Jesus Um, Just like the glory of Jesus is one of grace and also one of truth. He's the one full of grace and truth, as we read in John 1. But what we really, really want as human beings is we want grace without truth. We want affirmation and comfort without reformation and rebuke in our lives. But God loves us. Thankfully, God loves us far more than just to give us what we want. So, he comes in grace with all kinds of affirmation for us as his creatures. But he also comes in truth. And that's the scarier thing for us as people. We'd much rather just stay under the covers. But a part of the truth that Jesus brings is that, is that we are in great need. That we are, in fact, reveling in the darkness by default. That's the tougher side of the truth that we have to confront But the courage and power to confront that truth about who we are is enabled by the more glorious, the more radiant, the more wonderful truth about who God is which has everything to do with us. That he's a God of love and a God of mercy who is patient and kind with his people and who loves to to pour out his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy upon people. So the question becomes this, actually. Will we open ourselves up to the light of God That brilliant, that purifying light that will most certainly change us? Or will we lock ourselves up in our own darkness? So, will we open ourselves up to the light of God, that brilliant, purifying light that will certainly change our lives? Or do we just lock ourselves up in our own darkness? The change is radical. John describes it in this prologue that we read to John's gospel as birth. Well, birth is pretty radical. There's a pretty significant discontinuity between life in the womb and life outside the womb. And so there's a massive change that comes when this savior of light shines in our hearts and takes us out of the kingdom of darkness. To be born again has kind of a bad connotation in our culture, But it's biblical and to be born again implies this radical and comprehensive change to you and to me. The story reaches into and redirects our daily lives, our Monday mornings, our Thursday afternoons, our pursuits and our desires, our thoughts and our actions, our relationships and our concerns. No part of us is left untouched or unchanged by this light that comes into the world. It touches the depths of our depression as well as the heights of our joy. It has ramifications for all of our relationships. It speaks to our greed and our pride and our lust for power. It directs our career pursuits and it will guide in two weeks' time our New Year's resolutions as well. At the deepest and most basic level, this story, the light who comes into the world, redefines who we are and it redefines whose we are or clarifies whose we are and therefore, how we live as well, and how we have our being change at the deepest level. But obviously, for this to happen in your life, or for this to happen in my life, um, we have to enter in to the story. It does no good to, to hear the story. It does no good to sing the carols. It does no good to be around the live nativity scenes, or to hear the music, and then just to go back to our regular lives. We, we must enter in to the story. And we enter in by saying yes and saying no. By responding with a yes of faith to this king who has come. This yes to the light. And by saying no to the darkness. By turning from the darkness. Naturally, this saying yes and this saying no involves us significantly. There's no standing on the sidelines. There's no vicarious yes and no um, by somebody that you love in your life but we get involved. We roll up our sleeves and we get our hands dirty. There's no rooting from a distance, no once a week platitudes to cure our conscience momentarily as we go about life as we want it to be. Everything, everything is wonderfully uprooted by this Jesus. And we are reborn into something new, something wonderful, into what John says, that we are children of God, born of God, born of his will. And then we no longer live for ourselves, but for this one who came and for our sake died and was raised. So this story that we've heard tonight invites us in, it changes us, it changes everything. It's not just another story to hear and to tell without effect year after year at this time of year. It isn't a story about a state trooper that you don't know. Rather, it's a story about your God, the one who made you, the one who knows you better than you know yourself. And it's a story about his lavish, gracious hand, giving his life for you. Light has come into the darkness.